From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Even though it seemed like something of a formality since Florida defeated Georgia nearly a month ago, the Gators were able to officially book their tickets for Atlanta over the weekend, as their victory over Tennessee locked them into a date with Alabama for the SEC championship. On today's show, we'll chat with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry about the meaning of the Eastern Crown, the regular season finale against LSU, a hot start for Florida basketball, and obscure sports they've covered in the PAT. Then, the Gators punter and economics whiz Jacob Finn stops by to discuss life as a specialist, how he tries to help his teammates be more savvy with their money, and some of the shenanigans that go on behind the scenes in the special teams meeting room. But first, when Dan Mullen came to Gainesville, he immediately established the Gators standard and explained what it would take to achieve it. Step one on the path to reclaiming glory is to win the East, which the Gators did against Tennessee. And while the performance itself wasn't that shiny, it still represented a significant milestone. Yeah, I mean, it was a big moment for uh, the Gators under Mullen. But like you said, he, you know, it it was kind of a ho-hop performance. You could tell in his emotion afterward that he he was looking at stat sheet there after the game. And I remember Scott Strickland told him to, you know, you got to smile and uh, enjoy these and he did eventually uh saying yeah it did mean a lot because that's what he came to florida for they finally reached uh the sec championship game in his third year and it's been a very difficult year you know of course across college football with the gators in particular having to shut down the program so they've gone through a lot this year uh but they've reached one of their major goals that they they've set you know every year uh with mullen and that's to uh, win the east uh, check that box, and now they get to go to Atlanta for the SEC championship game on December 19th, going to face Alabama, and that will be a, uh, a monumental challenge the way it has been a, the last two times Florida was there. But I think this matchup has a totally different tone to it with what Mullen has done and you know reestablishing the Gators among really the country's elite. I mean, he's 29-6 and six now as Florida's head coach in his first 35 games. Uh, that's pretty impressive, and now he has a division title in, on the resume, which was for him that was his first in 12 years as a head coach. You know, he'd experienced wow. that as a assistant at Florida, but as a head coach, you know, when he was at Mississippi State, uh, the SEC West was so tough. You know, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, uh, those years all winning national titles while he was at Mississippi State. Uh, finally, he gets one at Florida, and uh, it, it's you know it was not what I would say a their best performance of the year. Uh, but again, they scored 28 straight points after Tennessee took a 7-3 lead. And then it just kind of played out from there. Tennessee got a couple of late scores. Uh, you look at the final stats, and again, Kyle Trask passes for uh, 433 yards. The offense doesn't run the ball much, but Dan Mullen said that wasn't really the plan. They threw 49 times, uh, which – that's what Tennessee was giving them, so they took it. So, again, it was a uh, – they did what they had to do in all three of those games after beating Georgia. Certainly not as important as that Georgia victory was, but they had to beat, what, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee to get where they wanted. They did that. 
Yeah, and uh, we talk about winning the SEC East. Um, inside the program, they were saying, we, we don't want to talk about that we just won the SEC East. We, did they clinch Atlanta? Yes, they did. But uh, they, if there's a slip-up in the last game of the season and Georgia wins, then Georgia can claim that co-east championship that uh steve spur used to mock uh <laughs> mock uh, uh georgia about they like to have that to themselves and obviously they want to have that for a reason because it will mean they've won another game and they've made a step close moved a step closer to let's just say the goal beyond the goal goals bigger than winning the sec east division obviously goals bigger than going to the southeastern conference uh, championship game obviously they've they've checked those boxes they want to keep winning games and now it comes to beating a very struggling LSU team on the home field, the last regular season game of the year. Um, I think Mullen has been pretty good, I think, at undangling carrots in terms of uh, telling them, you know, putting things out there. Scott mentioned checking boxes and what have you, but there's going to be plenty of reasons for to beat LSU. Just to stay in the thick of this hunt, Lord knows how it's going to turn out. It's a, it's a cluster as it is right now with this college football playoff or what have you. But you don't even want to hear the uh, hear the letter CFP unless you beat LSU. So um, that's what's on the horizon right now. And Gators have a chance to put like a nice little star on their on their regular season in the last game of the season here. A game that should have been played. When was this game scheduled for Scott? Yes, see, October seventeenth. Yes, seventeenth. Yeah. So almost two months ago. When it's a game on the calendar that, you know, before the season, everyone looks at as one of those barometer games that we talk about. And yet now here comes the conclusion. And LSU is just a shell of what they were when they went undefeated and won the national championship last year. Uh, a, a very humbling season for uh, for Coach O. As they're now, I mean, it's really no other way to put it. They're one of the bottom feeders of the SEC in this 2020. It's a weird year. They had guys opt out. Obviously, haven't gotten many breaks, but... This is a, a, a team that kind of guys, if we look at it, I mean, they're not that dissimilar from some of these teams Florida's beat in the last few weeks that are traditionally, you know, the lesser than in the SEC in 2020. That's what LSU is. And take that, take that one step further and say Florida's offense is not that dissimilar to what LSU's offense was last year right now. Mm-hmm. And certainly you can say that with the, with the quarterback and the, Hunt for the Heisman Trophy, and, and when these teams played last year, both were undefeated, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was, a, I think, a 5-7 matchup in Baton mm-hmm. Rouge last year. Both teams are undefeated. Florida, I think, was the only team to lead LSU in the second half all last season. Trask had a pretty good game that day. I think he was 311 yards, three touchdowns. He had a big interception, I think, in the second half, however. But, man, LSU's pass defense is 124th in the country. Mm. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it could potentially be a, a a stat game when you look at tj finley is the lsu quarterback he's got five touchdowns and five interceptions over the last five games since taking over for miles brennan after he got that abdominal injury i mean five touchdowns five interceptions kyle trask is 38 touchdowns three interceptions mm. um there's a reason probably ed orgeron's talking about playing max johnson rolling him out there for this game uh but it it, it just looks to me like lsu is just is a team that's just, you know, trying to run, run this thing out. Yeah. I think that's really exactly what they are. I mean, this week on his appearance on the SEC media teleconference, Ed Ordron is mostly questioned centered around the roster and the future management of the roster. Uh, You know, they had another guy opt out this week, freshman tied in Eric Gilbert. Then they had a guy opt back in Neil Farrell. So if you look around the country at programs and how they've been impacted by, 
COVID, I mean, LSU has probably been impacted about as much as any team. But beyond that, I think the greatest impact was losing all that talent from 2019. You don't replace a, a Joe Burrow and some of those other playmakers that they lost. I mean, that was a special team. 14 NFL picks, and I think mm. it was 10 of the first 97 picks. Five yeah. first-round picks, two second-round picks, three third-round picks. But having said all that, they, they were picked to finish second in the league. They had eight first-place votes because they he's been a banshee on the recruiting trail the last couple of years. He's a great recruiter, but uh... – I, again, I think they were they were getting some of that preseason hype based on what they did last year. That's right, and that's just that's just not a reality. I mean, again, you don't do or you don't replace what they had last year. It's like next year with the Gators. Mm-hmm. Let's see, let's say whatever they do, their production at quarterback is going to look a lot different next year. You know, without Kyle Trask and these receivers, that's just the nature of the beast. Now, does that mean the Gators are going to slip like LSU has this year? I'm sure Dan Mullen doesn't plan that. I'm sure Ed Ordron didn't plan it this year, but I think they just had a, they've had some bad luck. They've also had some guys defect they probably didn't expect, and it's been a difficult year. I mean, they've had some off the field stuff. Uh, if you guys have seen recently, that certainly has had yeah. a big impact on the program. Uh, so it's just been one of those years for LSU. The one thing that Dan Mullen said that he still sees is a lot of really good talent on the roster. It's just very young and experienced talent. You know, some of these guys who will run out there on Saturday, it's a lot different uh, than the guys they ran out, you know, last year and even in 2018 here in, at the Swamp when uh, Florida, you know, got that big win with the Brad Stewart interception. So uh, I think, you know, with what LSU and Florida is, though, I think both player, or players on both teams, you know, they're going to be excited for this one. But Florida clearly has a talent advantage and clearly has more to play for. And uh, it would be a nice, nice tune-up for them if they can get a big win over LSU going into the SEC championship game. Yeah, it'll be a likely a lot different-looking Florida LSU game from what we've seen in in previous years. But again, no less important if the Gators are going to continue striving for some of those bigger picture pie in the sky goals that we talked about just a few minutes ago. Uh, turning our attention to basketball, uh, Chris, it's been an interesting start for the Gators. Obviously. They had the delay about a week because of the uh, the positive tests, then had to really change the schedule, which everyone's doing to try and get you know more games in when these issues pop up. But once they actually got on the court, um, they, they've been pretty solid so far, and especially offensively, uh, very explosive from, from what we've seen. Think of how it kind of unfolded. Florida was supposed to open with Sanford, then it was Maine, then it was Massachusetts Lowell, then the Virginia game got canceled, then Oklahoma, they were supposed to start at Oklahoma. So, and then all the, then they say, okay, we're scrambling, and they added a trip up to Bubbleville. And so scrambled to jam themselves in there for two games in two days, and it started with Army. Army, as you might imagine, was a well-conditioned and disciplined bunch. And here comes Florida. <laughs> Here comes Florida trying to be their up-tempo, faster bunch that they that they've worked on uh, during this, um, you know, abridged offseason. And they're down 12-2, uh, less than four minutes in the game because they're not getting back on defense. Uh, Army's Army's they missed their five of their first six shots, so you obviously can't set up a press when you're missing shots. Army's hitting threes, and Mike White says, you know what, <laughs> we're not going to do this right now. And it kind of settled back in, and uh, with the help of of guys like Keontae Johnson, but specifically with Trey Mann and with Tyree Appleby off the bench, uh, they came back to win that Army game. Then the next night, about 30 hours later, 
they really waylaid Boston College uh, in a, a big 20-point win uh, game. They were up, I think, by, by 31 at one point and really looked much better. Didn't do a whole lot of pressing in that game, did some, but then did, got after Stetson on Sunday in what turned into a 46-point win, 86-40. Uh, Stetson was very much outmanned. Donnie Jones, the former Billy Donovan assistant, who won two national championships here. His team, I want to say, if the reports are accurate, they'd practice like five times in 30 days or something like that because of COVID, wow. and it showed. So, so I don't know what the gauge or what or how much you can take away from that game, but it's a 3-0 start. It's the first 3-0 start in three years for this team. Um, I think the Boston College uh, game, we'll see where that bears out down the line, uh, where they'll be in the ACC. It's an athletic team. Um, not sure how good they'll be. But uh, we'll know a lot more about Florida come Saturday morning when they play Florida State, which has obviously turned into uh, a nemesis for them, having, having won six straight in the series. Really an unfathomable, tur- an unfathomable turn when you think of um, where that series stands historically. Um, but Leonard, Leonard Hamilton has it going up there. If the, you know, if the Gators, are, if the Gators are, are a good team, they're going to go up to Tallahassee and they're going to show out a little bit. Well, and it's interesting, that's sort of the, the barometer, because, you know, last season started with that game against Florida State, and immediately a lot of people were, were disappointed, because that was, as you said, it was the chance to end that streak and, you know, and reclaim basketball dominance in the state of Florida. But lately, Florida State has sort of been the benchmark for the state. So, you know, I think it's, a, as you noted, it's a good opportunity early on to kind of set the, the mark for fans. Okay, this is where the expectations are. And if Florida goes there and can finally get that, you know, the, the monkey off their back, so to speak, would seem to go a long way in, in changing the narrative here early in the season. It would. And having said that, I mean, you can go up there and play well and lose. This is a, this is a really good team, Florida State. It's not just a good team. It's a good program. And let's just call it like it is. It's the state's best program right now. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we can have this conversation. Gator fans may not want to hear it. But, I mean, last year they won the, they won the ACC regular season title. The year before they went to the Sweet 16. The year before that, they were four points away from going to the Final Four. And telling it like it is also, the last three years, Gators haven't been close to them. Um, two years ago, Florida was coming back from that uh, Portland, from the PK-80, feeling pretty good about itself, averaging 100 points a game. Florida State punched them in the mouth at the beginning of the of the game. Got all up in them as Leonard Hamilton's teams are wont to do, and showed put basically laid out a blueprint of how to stop Florida from playing fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, two nights later, Loyola Chicago uh, used that same blueprint and beat Florida. Also, that was a seventeen point uh, Florida State win. Uh, the next year, with uh, Chip Christio's obviously gone, uh, uh, the team with the freshman Andrew Nemhart starting point guard Noah Locke. Uh, Keontae Johnson, those guys weren't starting it, but Andrew Nemhard goes in there. His first game, season opener at Florida State, 21-point loss. I mean, game wasn't close. And then last year, all the expectations, Kerry Blackshear Jr., uh, the McDonald's All-Americans, Trey Mann, Sky Lewis, here comes Florida State, veteran team, plays that same defense, does the same stuff, comes out, gets up into them, uh, picks them up, uh, uh, two-thirds court, and, you know, leaves her with a 12-point win. I think Kerry Blackshear in that game, Adam, he, 10 points, 13 rebounds. He was 0 for 5 from the floor. Florida was 4 for 24 from the three-point line, shot 28% for the game. And it really, frankly, it set the narrative for, for the season early on, saying, well, you know, we can't beat Florida State. You know, okay, well, how about Florida State? Let's give Florida State a little bit of credit. No one thought Florida State was going to be as good as they were last year. But that's a program has an identity. They guard, they defend, they recruit players that – that in a lot of ways are, are, can just kind of be moved in and moved out. 
athletic, strong, uh, defensive mentality, uh, and so, a lot of big guys too. Same kind of team they're gonna they're gonna roll out uh, this week against the Gators. So yeah, like I said, it's a it's a litmus test, if you will. But to go up there, it's it's tall order to go up there and win a game. To go up there and play well uh, would be a good sign. Like I said, you can you can play well and, and still lose a game like that with a, a Florida State team, Florida State program that really has it going right now. You know, we're still uh, three games in, so it's still very early. Although in a season where you don't know how many games are going to be played, maybe it's not as early as you <laughs> think. Yeah. Uh, but but so far, Chris, I mean, relative to what you expected, what has surprised you, especially in terms of the new guys in terms of what we've seen from Appleby, the expanded role for Trey Mann, et cetera. Adam, I think I mentioned uh, Tyree Appleby hopping off the bench against, uh, against uh, Army and really providing a, a, a spark for a team that was having trouble scoring. And he's a different kind of guy. He's a, he's a, he's a wide open player. Um, he's fast. He, he's, he's had a couple uh, highlight reel kind of uh, fast break passes. Um, he's not afraid to try to attack the basket and score. He's, he's kind of a, um, at some time you see the practice, he's a circus shot maker. He's going to make some shots. You go like, wow, how did, how, how did that go in high off the glass stuff? Um, but he's a, he's an, he's an exciting player. And I think he plays off uh, Trey Mann pretty well. Now those guys are on the court sometimes together, but I, I think, I think Trey Mann is a, is an interesting guy because he's, he's a combo guard. He has to play point guard now, but with the ball in his hands, none of the stuff he's doing now surprises me because uh, and I said this uh, several times last year on the podcast. Um, may have said it in one of the podcasts in the in the pre. He's their mo- he was their most talented uh, uh, scorer last year. He just never got it going. Uh, got the concussion early on. I think he had confidence issues and what have you. But with the ball in his hands, he can go get you a basket. And now I mean, he's shooting fifty percent from the floor. He's five of eight from three. He's he's up to eighty four percent, I think, in his free throws because he's getting to the line. And these are astounding numbers compared to where they were. I know it's only three games in. He's going to make a difference back there. Tyree Appleby is going to give him a little bit of, of, of a different look. I think Quez Glover is going to have a hard time uh, getting on the court with those two guys, uh, the way they're playing. And I think they're going, to, they're going to get better. Where the Gators, I think, need to start getting a little bit more consistency is from, from those post guys. Uh, like when you're talking about Florida State, when you're talking about Colin Castleton, the 6'11 uh, center who starts and then Omar Payne coming off the bench. Um, both those guys have decent numbers so far. I want to say I, I think they're 15 of 22 combined from the floor. But one of those two guys is going to have to show up in some facet against uh, those Florida bigs. And another thing that I would have to say, I was kind of had my eye cocked after the first two games up in Bubbleville waiting for Noah Locke to hit some shots. But Noah Locke has started slow the last two years. Uh, Maybe he made up for lost time against Stetson, hit five of six threes. He's eight for 16 on the season. On a team that doesn't shoot the ball particularly well from the outside, uh, they're going to need Noah Locke to be uh, special from out there, like he was last year when he led the SEC in 48% shooting from the three-point line. So we'll see what happens Saturday. Obviously a a big barometer for Gator basketball and a huge opportunity and, uh, of course, we'll be talking about that next week as well. Uh, I wanted to move on to our PAT now. And it's inspired by the news from this week that the Olympics in 2024 in Paris are adding some sports, among them sport climbing, skateboarding, surfing, and wait for it, breakdancing. So just, just so we have this clear, um, softball will not be an Olympic sport in 2024 but breakdancing will be. 
make of that what you will. My question for you guys stemming from that is over your long and storied careers as sports writers. I know you weren't always covering athletics at the highest level as you are now. (laughs) I'm curious if, if you can think about a time when you had to cover a really obscure sport or event that still stands out today uh, when you, you mine those memories. I do have. If they add <laughs> if they add this to the Olympics, well, first of all, let's acknowledge what you just said about the Olympics. I think that's pretty stupid. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's I think ridiculous. Or but you know maybe break dance is really popular in Europe nowadays. I mean it was popular here for a while, so maybe it's really a swept the country. I think you should have Tim Walton on. Uh, to talk about the softball being dropped. He may provide better insight. Why don't we have Tim Walton on to break dance? Well, that that would be good too. (laughs) Yeah, he'll have to do both. If he wants to come on, he's got to break dance and he's got to talk about softball being excluded. Well, I think both segments probably would be better than what I'm about to talk about. (laughs) But, uh, okay, you're you're asking weird sports. When you're you're right, when when you're starting out as a young sports writer, at least when I was coming up and probably when Chris was too, you – you know, you don't always get the plum assignments. So uh, I, I used to uh, stream for my first paper was the Orlando Sentinel. You know, I lived in Orlando. I was in high school and college down there. So I would, they would call me up in the middle of the week and say, hey, we need somebody to cover this. We need somebody to cover that. Can you do it? And I always said yes because I was trying to get experience. So I covered the, what was it, the Sammy Duvall ski jumping contest. That was pretty popular for a while. I covered that a couple of years where, you know, water skiers, they go out there, they would jump. And, in Polk County, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that's right. I, yeah. I covered that a couple of times. I once covered a rodeo at the Orlando Arena. I remember that was the first experience uh, of covering a rodeo. And I remember, I still remember to this day, like going back, you know, underneath the, where normally it would be like the Magic's locker room or, was, you know, walking back there. It's like, it's got dirt all on the floor. And <laughs> the guy's guys like hey be careful where you where you step and i soon learned why because i stepped in a big pile oh no so, so yeah i do remember that i, I remember covered a couple of rodeos actually for the sentinel uh but those those two are probably the oddest ones that i've had i mean i've never covered anything like a knife throwing competition or a hot dog eating contest and yet that's on national television yeah did you interview the bulls or just the the riders no i interviewed uh, the bulls they were definitely better uh better interviews i mean they had some good quotes <laughs> you know the great thing is when you interview animals you can make up your own quotes and they're it's always very true it's yes. very true i know a lot of writers that make up quotes anyway when they talk to people <laughs> that's right um <laughs> i uh my, it's funny that scott says that because i'm so old that my first uh, uh assignment as a newspaper report i was an intern at the tampa tribune uh was a water skiing event at mccormick lakes which I think was in Polk County or East Hillsboro. And one of the guys in it was Sammy Duvall, okay? That's great. <laughs> See how – that's how far we go back. Yeah, you covered the Sammy Duvall Invitational. <laughs> I covered Sammy Duvall, okay? You covered him younger in his career. I got him later when he was popular. I was so excited to open up the paper the next day and see my, you know, first time you see your name <laughs> in a in Tampa Tribune. Um, I did a karate thing. I had to do a, write a story about a freaking nine-year-old karate person that won. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you what the craziest thing that I think I did. And that was, this is a few years into my career. There had never been anything called the uh, indoor football. And when the, when the indoor, what was the name of that league again? The uh, Arena League? Arena Football. Arena League. Arena League. Yeah, right. AFL, Arena so, Football. Right. So when it when the Arena League started, uh, they had, I want to say, eight teams. 
And the first thing they, they did a, a thing at Daytona beach. Um, they did a, a arena league, a jamboree there. Okay. And the Tribune wow. sent me over there. They did, they played, they played four games in one day, all on the floor of that place. And I'd never, I mean, indoor football. Mm-hmm. And I went there and like, and, and there's a, I'm trying to think there may have been one or two names of somebody I've heard of, but there was a couple coaches that were, and they were jerks trying to interview them and stuff. And, and I was just watching this fo- football with people banging into walls. I, I, I just thought it was insanity. Now, having said, does that mean that in Paris there's going to be, there could be arena football or something? Um, I mean, if they can have break dance, what was the first sport you said, Adam? Rock climbing? Sport climbing. Sport climbing. Sport climbing. I think it's rock climbing. Oh, okay. Sport climbing. Well, my, my final takeaway on that is uh, obviously the Olympics' greatest era has passed. Yeah. At the moment, uh, sports writing is not on the Olympic schedule, uh, but maybe it will be in the future, and then we'll have both you guys to put forward and uh, try and bring home the gold for the USA. So let's have you focus on that. We'll tell the fans to find that great sports writing at FloridaGators.com and on Twitter at GatorScott, at GatorsChris, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Adam. When you have an elite offense that's rarely stopped, the punting unit can easily become an afterthought. But given the personality and street smarts Jacob Finn possesses, even when he isn't on the field, the redshirt senior punter seems to find a variety of ways to impact his teammates. Before venturing into his backstory and learning more about what makes him tick, we asked him about the vibe in the locker room for the now official SEC East champs. Yeah, it's definitely pretty exciting. Um... I think our season comes down to a couple games every year, and uh, beating Georgia earlier in the season was huge. And once you uh, beat Georgia, it's kind of you get that monkey off your back, and uh, you get that sense of belief, and uh, you know, like this is real. This is for real. We buckle down here, win a couple more games, um, we have a chance to clinch these and head back to Atlanta. It's been a while since we've been back to Atlanta. I was I was a freshman then, so. Five football seasons ago, mm. it was quite a while. And uh, this year, we, I feel much more confident in our, in our team. Uh, I think we're well, really well-rounded, and uh, it's really exciting. Just, I mean, it really hasn't sunk in yet. Still got to play LSU this week, and that's a big rivalry in my mind and everyone here. So uh, clinching the SEC East, it's not too big of a deal right now. We still mm. got one more game. But, uh, I mean, in the back of my mind, it's definitely pretty, pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> So at Tennessee, you, know, you haven't gotten a lot of work a lot of times this year because the offense scores too much. But then at Tennessee, we saw Kyle actually take your job there for a second with his little pooch punt. Uh, how, how much were you involved with that? Did you maybe give him some pointers? What, what's the, the background on that? Uh, I was pretty thankful, actually. I, I, don't, I really enjoy the inside the 10, inside the 5 punts. But a 32-yard punt would be a <laughs> That goes to like the – I think maybe the max punt you had was like a 35-yard punt. That would go to the goal line. Yeah. I mean, Trask obviously executes everything he does uh, to a very high standard. And, uh, I mean, he was just out there wheeling and dealing. When you got that much confidence, I think anything is possible. So, I mean, I he, he doesn't give me, me many punts to begin with. Um, I feel like every time it's third and 12, I don't even, I don't even budge because I figured it's going to be a first down. Uh, we're going to convert. <laughs> um He's definitely gunning for my job, so I, no, I'm not. I'm gonna end it on that one. <laughs>
Did you, uh, you you talk to him at all after the punt about it, or you know maybe maybe uh, some? I, I've heard he's he's picked up his trash talk recently. Any of that afterwards? Yeah, I had some guys, uh, including Kyle, tell me I wasn't going to make the bus uh, next week. <laughs> hey, we weren't going to punt many times, and if we did, I think Kyle's got that job unlocked now. In, in light of that, have you have you challenged him to maybe uncork one and see what happens? Like you said, you know, he's he. It was perfect for him because it was like a thirty yarder. Have you challenged him maybe you know in in the practice facility to see what he can do when he puts his whole leg into it? I haven't yet, but that's definitely something to uh, maybe get back at him. But you never know. You don't want to challenge a guy like that. Like I said, with his confidence soaring, he might be able to un- unleash a sixty yarder every it's now true. and then. He might he might be able to do it. Yeah, as Coach Mullen says, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. <laughs> I think that's the case with uh, Trask this weekend. But hey, a plus for the Gators, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, I want to wind things back for you a little bit here. Let's, let's take it back to the very beginning of your story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your family, where you grew up, and, and some of your, your early years? Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I played soccer my entire life. I'm one of one of three boys, so it's very very competitive household. Um, just like I said, I played soccer my entire life. I got into football my seventh grade year. It was the first year I was allowed to play football in middle school, and I uh, always kicked and punted just because it was pretty natural um, as a soccer player. But I continued to play football and soccer all the way through my senior year of high school, and just kind of wanted to evaluate uh, both college, collegiate opportunities, and uh, like what lies for me after school or after sports. I had a couple of decent offers from soccer, uh, but just the soccer market in the state of Florida is pretty limited. And I, I um, received a phone call from a couple of guys from the old staff uh, to come here to play football. And I, I mean, I mean, it's the best, one of the best gigs in the world. You can't can't beat it. And I saw that we had a couple of great punters here already. And I, le- I was able to learn a lot because I was pretty raw when I first came in the UF. And I was able to kind of soak it all up and learn a lot from uh, some, some of the veteran guys that were, came before me. And I'm really, really thankful for that. So in terms of your, when you started playing football in seventh grade, did you start playing football as a specialist or were you a position player? And then the soccer fed into it later. Yeah, um, no, I, play, I, I was always a kicker and punter, but I was never just a kicker and a punter. I played quarterback my, in high school, and I played receiver as well. Whenever we needed uh, a first down, it was kind of a, like a rotating offense. So we ran like a wing tee in high school. And I mean, it's a, it's a fairly simple offense, but it's a lot of fine mechanics. So you mm-hmm. have to be kind of a cerebral player, and I, I – I could memorize the plays essentially. My arm was never like fantastic. It was good enough to get the job done, and I wouldn't forget anything. So I would play quarterback, but <laughs> play receiver a lot more because it was uh, it was a little bit more. And like, whatever I did was because of my own like doings. Quarterback, you have to rely on everybody else. Like if right. your your offensive line is poor, if you've got one poor offensive lineman, you're gonna be scrambling for your life. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. That's kind of why I gravita- gravitated towards punting because it's Hunting is kind of an individual sport. It's not real. I don't really play football. I love football, but at the end of the day, I punt. <laughs> I miss uh, playing wide receiver and kind of like uh, partaking in the um, the scheme of football. But I mean, I, I do really love the uh, competitive nature of punting because I mean, either it's either you're hitting your best ball or it's a miss it, and I, I really love that uh, competitive nature about it. Hmm. 
know, it's funny. I think back on the, uh, I think it was was Johnny Townsend that started the the punters are people too movement. Uh, where do you stand on that relative to? I mean, as you said, uh, you know, you don't really play football, but yet you're a very important player on a football team. How do you how do you square that? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big big uh, Pat McAfee fan. I mean, he's one mm. of the most outspoken uh, advocates for punters, <laughs> and rightfully so. I mean, the, the dude uh, is extremely athletic, has a cannon of a leg, kicked and punted at the highest level. Um, and I think Florida especially, I cannot speak for all punters across the nation, but Florida especially has a tendency to recruit very athletic punters. You look at both Johnny and Tommy in the NFL um, mm. have executed high-level fakes and, I mean, Coach Mullen continues to call fakes here at Florida because he believes in his guys. So, I mean, it definitely depends on each punter. You definitely have some guys who are uh, only punters. But I would say across the board, punters are, can be pretty athletic. And uh, that's a big, big asset um, if you're able to run and throw, like similar to that of other position players. Right, right. So, okay, so when you decided to come to Florida and to walk on – what went into that? Was it basically, was it just, okay, I'm going to go to Florida for academic reasons. And if I get to play on the team, then that's a bonus. Or was it always a concerted effort that I'm going to go there as a walk on? And this is my plan. Uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't ever do anything with like, uh, with half intentions. <laughs> so I didn't want to come here and just, just be on the team. That's never, uh, that's not my personality. I wasn't going to do that. I, if I wouldn't have seen it in myself to potentially start one day, after a couple months or years of uh, hard work and evaluation, if I didn't see that in myself, I wouldn't have come. I would say it was a match made in heaven. It was a great puzzle piece. I knew I wanted to study business, and the University of Florida Business School is fantastic. I came in as a finance major. I graduated as a finance major, and now I'm doing my master's in finance hmm. here at Florida. And all along, I, I mean, didn't really skip a beat when it comes to um, like coming to football practice hitting the studies hard and I would like to think uh, maturing and um, excelling in both the classroom and the football field so uh, to kind of reiterate I, de- I came here knowing that we've had some we have some studs uh, Johnny both Johnny and Tommy uh, ahead of me and I, I, learned, I took that as like a learning experience I know these guys um, have had a lot more experience than me and I, I figured I could kind of be a sponge around them and learn a lot which I did so the master plan is coming to fruition here mm-hmm. and I, I I'm pretty pumped about it. Well, in terms of what you learned from them, I mean, you said just a few moments ago that you like punting because it is a very kind of individual sport within a team sport. So what were you able to learn from them? Being a sponge around those guys, what can specialists, what can punters absorb that's valuable? Yeah, punting, I mean, I, it's, it's very similar to golf. So it's it's not about the effort you give. If you don't, It's not about how hard you swing or how... Um, hard you focus it's really muscle memory and -hmm. getting about getting proper reps so it's uh going out there and punting a thousand balls that's what i was accustomed to uh, on the beginning just going out kicking and kicking and kicking and i think my special teams coach would tell you that i still kick a lot and he's not a big fan of that but i learned how to be more of a a professional at practice and uh, learning how to be a great kicker or punter i'm sure evan could tell you the same thing it's all about having precision and a like a legitimate practice schedule that you have to stick to um, at least 10 months out of the year. Like your off season has to be just as dedicated as your Monday through Thursday practice uh, in season. So you really got to give it your all. That's why like when you said earlier, um, did you plan on coming to play football at Florida or was it just going to be, or were you just glad to be on the team? Like it doesn't really work that well 
uh, in any phase of life to kind of just float through like a tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. Um, and punting it definitely. I was never, you're never going to just be good at punting um, haphazardly. You might have right. a lot of great talent, but everyone at this level has a lot of good talent. So you've really got to put that um, natural ability and, and to hyperdrive and really start to focus. And I think both uh, my predecessors, kickers and punters here at UF, taught me a lot about um, becoming more of a professional than just uh, a good high school kicker. Mm-hmm. When, and you really, I mean, you've put in your time, right? I mean, you've been around a long time and waited for your opportunity to be the guy. What has it meant to finally have that opportunity come this year and for it to be, you know, not part of a, a four and eight campaign, but you are the guy on a team that has very high aspirations and, and a ceiling that's limitless at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's great. Uh, I think it looks it looks better than it is like on the outside because I, in my mind, I've always been like preparing to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And I think every competitor, you can ask anybody on our team, you can say the same thing for Trask. Three years ago when he was a second or third stringer, I can guarantee you that Trask was thinking, you know, all it takes is one injury, one COVID test of this year. And yeah. I'm preparing for the guy. And you saw that when he was in the Kentucky game. I mean, he stepped in seamlessly. And I've had that mindset for the last couple of years. Like when your time is called, wherever that may be, whether it's your fifth year, third year, whatever, you've got to be ready to step in. Because, I mean, it's not as cutthroat as the NFL, but – I mean, a high division one school like this, you get your chance and you, uh, doesn't go perfectly or near perfect. I could be your last. So, um, I, I take my opportunities here very seriously, especially when you have such a great offense and all your opportunities are pretty limited. Um, I, I take it really seriously. So no, it's fantastic to be on a uh, great team. And, uh, I mean, I'm definitely soaking it in cause I, I've realized it gets December season most seasons are done by now most years seasons don't give your bowl game and maybe the sec championship to prep for so i'm uh kind of it's starting to get slightly sentimental i'm not super sentimental but yeah my last game's in the swamp in about four days here so i mean it's pretty exciting i'm pretty pumped about it nothing but uh happy memories here and a lot of um blood sweat and tears for sure yeah and and reflecting back on that which you've already started to do um, what stands out? What memories when you when you think about playing your last game in the swamp? What comes to the top of your mind? Oh, it probably started when I was just in high school and I was uh, starting to look at Florida, thinking about coming to get recruited here, trying to um, like reach out to recruiters to get recruited to punt. I remember coming to the Ole Miss game and uh, Florida just throttling Ole Miss. Like, and the atmosphere here is fantastic. Uh, it's about an hour and a half a- away from home. I get to see my family pretty frequently. Like I said, it was, a, it was a perfect puzzle piece. And, uh, I mean, I really uh, – the locker room is what I'm going to miss the most for sure. The, the guys, there's not many places on earth that you can kind of be that candid with. I don't think there's anybody on the team, maybe like seniors, juniors, sophomores, that I can't like hang out with on a regular basis. There's nobody I couldn't call and ask a favor for. And, like, and uh, I think that's a testament to the, the program we're in right now and like how – strenuous and how grueling it is you have to set aside all differences and just uh grind together and i it is obviously great when you things come to fruition and you have a fantastic season whatever seven and one eight and one it's just a byproduct of doing the right things here in florida in terms of some of those relationships you have uh we were able to mine those to get some dirt on you so we're going to use that on you now um, this, this is one of my favorites. Uh, we were told by one of your teammates, I don't want to say who, that you are a 50 year old trapped in a 23 year old's body. Um, c- can you explain that description and, and how that's relevant to you? 
I think that means I, I make pretty sound decisions. <laughs> I would say uh, because my, my background as like a finance major, I've always been pretty fiscally conservative. So like a lot of my buddies will go out, especially bowl games and uh, other nonsense. And like, I don't mind splurging and stuff, but I always am like, dude, this is the most efficient way to, to spend this. This is, the, this is the way to get your best bang for your buck. I'm always looking for an angle. Um, and that's just, I think that's come from wisdom being at school and, uh, being in university a long time, you, you start to figure out the best way to do things. And I, that's just, I guess that's my personal opinion, but there's, there's definitely, if you're going out at night, there's definitely a best way to get your best bang for your buck. And I mean, (laughs) we all, we all know how how to, uh, it's not scheming the system, but it's getting the best deals for sure. So that's what I would say. I guess when you're a fifth year wisdom, uh, is uh, plentiful. Uh, we were told that they call you the sheriff. Why do they call you the sheriff? Oh, that's that's a good one. It's a great nickname. I love it. Um, I think because whenever I walk into a situation, I know some shady stuff's going on. I always am the first one to call it. Like, what's going on? Like, immediately, it's, you can smell it in the air with our with our specialist group. We got a we got a lot of mischievous guys um, <laughs> and the specialists in the in the best way possible. But they're always trying to pull pranks, and and I'm I'm pretty pretty quick to sniff it out. But when they do get me, it is uh, it's it's one of the the better laughs in the locker room. But it's a great camaraderie between all the specialists, the young and old. I mean, I I, I think it's one of the better groups I've I've been a part of, and I guess probably can say that because I'm old now. But uh, no, it's a great group, and I love being the sheriff with the boys. What was uh, maybe not the most recent, but the best example of a a plot that you snuffed out? Uh, and, and just flipped upside down before they were able to pull one over on you? I know like each week, like if you're a champion or you grade out a champion, you get to choose it from like a, uh, a candy stash. And I'm always a big uh, Reese's guy and, or like Evan is a blow pop guy. We always get the candy. We always <laughs> share it. So this past week I changed it up and I went with uh, Capri Sun pouches Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a throwback to my childhood, and I yeah. had, to, had to grab them. I was, I was pumped. I brought them in the locker room. Everybody was, everybody was pumped about that. So I, I drank one and I put them on my desk. And I, we, we traveled to Tennessee. I come back and all my Capri Suns are gone. I still don't know what happened to them. I'm pretty pissed about it. Right now. I'm, I was like getting a little heated just thinking about it. I don't know what happened, but definitely suspect one and two are the what we call the band of brothers. That's Chris Howard and Brett Dugardi. They're definitely <laughs> like number one and two. Uh, I think they, they took the Capri Sun pouches, but they might not even drink them. They might have just hit them from me. And that, I true. think that's even more infuriating. Definitely stuff like that happens on a regular basis. Yeah. I was told also that you are a, uh, that you're really into stocks, which I imagine is not something many of your teammates share or have an interest in. <laughs> so how, how do you? How is that an interest you pursue and discuss with your teammates? Have you found some some unlikely kindred spirits there? Uh, definitely, there's some guys who are. I mean, I think it's becoming more accessible these days with uh, with apps and brokerage firms that are um, free. So you, mm. there used to be a big fee for every time you bought and sold a, an equity or a bond, and now with like apps uh, like Robinhood or E Trade and TD Ameritrade, it's free to trade. So all you need is a couple bucks. And uh, I mean, it's pretty exciting. If you, if you do it properly, it's not complete gambling. And uh, <laughs> I'm not on the speculation side. I do like to see a return from my uh, investments. But a one guy I've definitely been talking with uh, is Josh Braun, one of, the, one of our offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. He's uh, definitely a, a um, stock pal of mine that uh, we, we like to shoot text back and forth and chat about what we think 
the market's doing here and there. And I think the reason I'm into it is because uh, it, it's, it stems back to my fiscally conservative nature mm-hmm. that I'm not, I'm not blowing 20 and 30 bucks here and there. If you can trim those, those uh, expenditures down, you have more to invest. So, I mean, it's exciting for me. And I mean, I, it's like a pastime I enjoy and I'll definitely uh, enjoy. It's also what I'm studying in school. So I feel like I have a leg up versus anybody, everybody, most other people. And I, it's like a competition to me as well. You're competing with all the guys on Wall Street and everybody else in the world uh, that are trading stocks. Because every time I buy something, somebody sold that to me. And likewise, every time I sell, someone's buying it. So someone right. on the opposite side of the screen, wherever they are, is taking the exact opposite stance you are. So it's kind of like brain versus brain. And it's also very humbling. I, I don't often search or uh, seek out to be humbled, but it happens very often. And it's <laughs> similar to football. I mean, you, you miss it one punt. I've had a couple of good games in a row here, and you miss it one punt, you're right back to square, square zero. So it's, it's a good way to humble yourself. And I always think of this Mark Twain quote, and he, he says, it's not what you don't know that kills you. It's what you do know, but just ain't so. And that's what the stock market is. Like you think something's going up and you're so confident and then boom, it goes down. You have no idea. Like you do. And then you learn something. So it's a constant learning lesson. Uh, and I really enjoy it. It keeps me on my toes. Hmm. Couple of final things for you. You talked a lot about being a man with a plan and, uh, and you, you've demonstrated that on, on a few of these here, but I'm curious, what is the big picture? What is the long view? Uh, you wrap up school, you graduate, what is next? What is the five, 10 year plan? Who knows? Maybe you have it planned out further than that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I always like to have like at least two options. So, I mean, for instance, like my, my schooling here at UF um, is divided. I mean, almost 50, 50 between football and school. And and now that I'm like uh, the starter here and like these last probably year, it's been a lot more football than school. My graduate classes are pretty heavy, but now that I've gotten into a rhythm, uh, it's probably 60-40 football to school. And I know all my academic advisors probably hate to hear that, but <laughs> that's just the fact of the matter. So like similar to my life, I, I'm obviously going to pursue football as long as, it, as long as I can. And I mean, because I love, I love punting and I want to do it for as long as I can. However, uh, I am definitely, I, I want to move to New York uh, after college and pursue uh, investment banking or like commer- and work in the commercial real estate space as an analyst and uh, just get some great experience, kind of be in the hustle and bustle and really grind, uh, grind it out for the next couple of years and kind of figure out where I want to be from there. I, I definitely do like the plan going back to what you said, but I've realized, especially being at a university like this, what you don't know, you don't know. So I didn't even know what the financial services industry or investment banking really was three or four years ago. And I look at how much my brain has uh, like gained and strength and um, like open, I've become so much more open-minded here mm-hmm. at Florida because I've just been able to be a sponge around people that were A, better than me, older than me, or smarter than me. So if you can surround yourself with people like that, uh, I feel like it's a great way to learn and a great way to grow personally and professionally. So um, I would say... 95% sure that in the next two or three years, I'll be in New York working uh, on Wall Street or somewhere in Manhattan, invest in banking or in the commercial real estate space. That's definitely what I'm most passionate about. And uh, that's where I want to be for sure. Hmm. Final question for you. Uh, this is uh, another thing that we were told, some intel we got, that uh, you like to finish off every day, if you can, with wine and ice cream. How did this combination come to be? And, and I mean, what, what does that even look like at the end of a day? So this is another old man story, but <laughs> jo- George Powell, the kicker, number 98, legend. He's, he's, a, he's a legend amongst us. He's like a grandfather to most specialists here. 
he was a wine and ice cream guy himself. And I don't always do it together because it is the caloric intake is quite <laughs> high. But Saturday night, often um, late night is ice cream and wine. Or, I mean, sometimes a Sunday night as well. It depends. <laughs> I don't like to eat ice cream five or six days a week, but usually at least two. I'm a big, I'm a big dessert guy, and uh, wine pairs pretty well. So my girlfriend also is a wine uh, girl herself, so that helps. I'm not really the biggest wine, but sometimes the girl calls the shots every now and then. So, But I'm a big dessert guy. Just, just ice cream or not necessarily ice cream? No, my favorite, my favorite's cookie. I'm a big chocolate chip cookie guy. That's okay. monumental. If I'm going to go ice cream, it's going to be a Neapolitan. What does Neapolitan uh, pair best with? Like a Chardonnay? How does that work? Yeah, usually I go with a white wine. Not too sweet. Okay. Um, yeah, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc. With, with, with a little Neapolitan, right? Yeah, with a little Neapolitan on the side. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand is a very solid. Any of those, they're, they're all pretty affordable too. Yeah. I usually try to just, just see you're learning everything about me now. I usually try to stay within like the <laughs> 15 to $20 range for a bottle of wine. It gets pretty pricey. That's, that's why I can't yeah. do it. Every day. And also it make me fat, which I'm not, I'm not about that either. Yeah. Um, we're taking very careful notes here as I'm sure our listeners are too. Um, but Jacob, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing uh, a very, a very unique perspective for a football player. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow the Gators in their regular season finale and unprecedented 10th SEC game as they play LSU under the lights at 7 on ESPN, then come back next week for our SEC title preview. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Stay safe and go Gators.